as we begin, I'm going to show you some pictures. I'm going to put them on the screen. Uh, I want you to think about what these pictures are, and I want you to think what you might do with them. It's the first one. Slippery surface. It's a warning sign, isn't it, that things, well, they're slippery, as it says. And so you're going to usually wait until the floor is dry before you go in, or uh, you might tread very carefully. It's the next one. Danger, hazardous chemicals. What might you do if you see this one? Well, usually if it's on, say, a big vat of something, you don't pull the top off and stick your hand in to find out what's in there. You know, you probably won't want to breathe it in or do anything like that. You stay away from a hazardous chemical. Or what about this one? Beware of the dog. Okay? You probably won't enter this property unless you like being bitten by dogs or cats. And, of course, we recognize when there's danger, don't we, no matter how they phrase it. Okay? These pictures are all warning signs. And if you see these, what you're probably going to do is you're going to go ahead very carefully or you might even turn around and go in the other direction. And so to think seriously about this for a moment, let's say you go to the beach. Your friend is about to jump into the water. You turn around and you see this sign. What are you going to do? You're not going to go and push your friend in, are you? Well, I would hope you wouldn't. You know, you're going to point out the warning sign. Because if he jumped in, he would be in life-threatening danger. That's what this opening section of Galatians is. It's like a warning sign. There's something dangerous happening in the lives of these Christians. It's a pretty serious situation in the Galatian church, and it has to do with the gospel. And Paul, well, he wants to warn them. There's something bad happening here. And as he does, he sets the scene for the rest of his letter to the Galatians as well. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the gospel. The gospel is at the center of this passage. We're going to look at what it is. We're going to look at where it comes from. We're going to think about what it means to tamper with this gospel and the consequences of that. And we're going to see that the gospel alone is enough for salvation. Okay, it's additive free. So let's start with something that's very important. Where the gospel comes from. Have a look at the first verse with me, please. Paul writes, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul makes it clear that his ministry as an apostle comes from God. In today's world, to be set apart for ministry is often described as a calling, calling from God to do his work. And that was definitely the case for me. In fact, it was in this very church back in the early 2000s that I had a very strong and real sense that God was calling me into ministry, that he wanted me to be a minister. Uh, there was a divine calling. But along with that came interviews uh, by church leaders, there was Bible college being tested and approved, and of course all of the expectations of the Presbyterian church. So God called me, but he also worked through men to teach me and guide me and prepare me for what was to come. But that's not the case with Paul. His ministry wasn't like that of any church leader today or of any of the teachers in the Galatian church. Paul is a capital A apostle. He was converted through a unique encounter with the risen Lord Jesus 
who gave him the gospel directly. What this means is that the gospel that Paul is sharing, the gospel that he's talking about in this letter, is not just his opinion. It's not just his take on spiritual things. It's not something that he learned from men and now he's just modifying and twisting as he goes on sharing it from church to church. No, his gospel message is the absolute standard for truth because it comes straight from God himself. It's God's gospel. So what is the gospel then? What is this message that Paul is getting him to look at here? Well, he makes that clear as well, right as he, as he opens his letter. If we look at verses 3 and 4, it says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Jesus gave himself for our sins. He gave up his life for ours to pay for our sins which keep us from God. And if we glance back at verse 1, we read that the Father raised Jesus. He rose victorious over sin and death. His work was complete. So basically, Paul is putting the death and resurrection of Jesus front and center in the message. Jesus stood in our place so that we could have forgiveness and new and eternal life. That is the essence of the gospel. But Notice that Paul also uses the word rescue. Bound up with the gospel is the reality that we need rescuing. His point is that without Jesus, we're stuck in our sins. Without him, we're dead spiritually, and that means we have zero ability to work towards our own salvation. No amount of religious effort or doing good will ever make us right with God. We have to understand that if we want to get the gospel. But the gospel also says that we've been saved by grace. This means that God himself directs his saving love towards us as a gift. We can't claim any credit. We simply receive Jesus as he gives himself for us. So the gospel is a divine rescue. And it says here that it's a rescue from the present evil age. And that means that Jesus takes us out of a state of being in rebellion against God. That's what, what the evil here refers to, all that's opposed to him. And into a, a new place, into a place of new life in God's kingdom. So that's the gospel. Jesus standing in our place, giving up his life to pay for our sins in full. Made completely right with God by the finished work of Jesus. And we don't need to add anything then to what he has done. The gospel is additive free. And it's a salvation held up by grace to helpless people. Now that's good news. But if that's true, then what's the problem in Galatia? If they've had this great message, what's happening there? Well, starting at verse 6, we read, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. It seems that there were teachers in these churches who were distorting God's gospel. The believers there were keen on this teaching and they were following these teachers. 
Now, Paul only introduces the situation here, but in coming weeks we're going to see that there were Jewish leaders, Jewish Christians, who were saying that they needed to do things like uh, keeping certain holy days or be circumcised or eat certain foods. Basically, they were adding to the gospel. They'd say that, yes, of course you need Jesus to be saved, but to be really right with God, to finish that work, you need to take on board the Jewish law. In the end, they were teaching a Jesus plus something else gospel. And this distortion of the truth is not a good thing. And sadly, it still happens today. Uh, We find this gospel plus thinking in churches where they say that you need to take certain sacraments or follow certain traditions to be right with God. We can sometimes see it uh, where a church is very rigid with its theology, with certain parts of its theology, where people uh, really need to embrace certain things to be truly considered a proper Christian. Some examples that I've come across are the need to believe that God created the world in a particular way or or the need to speak in tongues. This gospel plus thinking is also seen in churches where they keep Jesus, but they, they, they push him off to the side as they focus on social justice or being a good moral person. And the final example I want to share can actually be very subtle. It's when it's taught that ultimately we are the ones who invite Jesus into our life and then we work hard on keeping a strong faith so that we make sure that we stay saved. But if we look closely, that's also teaching that salvation rests on human effort because it makes faith a work in and of itself. And all of this is very dangerous. What Paul is saying is that to change the gospel itself is to lose it. He says in verse 7 that people are perverting the gospel of Christ. And the word behind perverting means to corrupt something so that it actually isn't the same thing anymore. It can even mean to be reversed into the opposite of what you started with. So let's get our heads around this. The gospel is from God. To add the need for uh, uh, keeping the law or man's work, it takes God and his glory out of first place. Because he takes people who need rescue. He reaches into their life. He gives his son for them. He does the work in full by his grace and love. People don't contribute to their salvation. They simply receive a gift of something wonderful. So to add to the gospel destroys it. And not only does it take God out of first place, it takes away grace, takes away the loving character of God that he would reach into our desperate situation with exactly what we need. It takes away the death and resurrection of Jesus as payment in full and makes that somehow deficient. And it takes away faith in Christ and replaces it with trust in man. If I can say all of this another way, It makes the gospel just like every other major world religion, where you work hard to earn your God's favor. But that's not Christianity. Let's be clear on this. We have something different. We have something unique and amazing. We don't have a religious system where you work hard to earn your God's favor. I mean, that's why uh, there was a reformation, as Matt said at the beginning of our service. As many of you know, we're celebrating, in just a couple of weeks' time, the 500th anniversary of this Reformation, pretty much the start of the Protestant Church. 
Uh, Back in 1517, Martin Luther spoke out against the corrupt Catholic Church of his time. And why did he do that? Because they were adding to the gospel. They were saying that the traditions and rules of the church were needed for salvation on top of Jesus. They had lost sight of the fact that the gospel is additive free. So do you see the problem in the Galatian church? They're not just wrestling with some new teachings. They're not just trying to figure out how do we absorb that nicely into the theology we already have. They're being led astray. That's what Paul's concerned about. The gospel is not just a good religious starting point that you then add to. It's what we continue to rely on and rest in for all of our life. As a great uh, theologian, Colin Buchanan, has written, uh, it's more than just the ticket, it's the ride. It's not the wrapping, it's the gift inside. We never move beyond the gospel. And so to add to it, well, that leads to some pretty serious consequences. How do you think you describe Paul as he's writing this letter? See, so look at his choice of words here. On the one hand, he can't believe what's happening. I'm astonished. You, you turn away from the one true gospel, he writes. He's upset with them. He doesn't even thank God for the Galatians as he does in almost every one of his New Testament letters. Things are pretty serious there. But at the same time, I'm strongly convinced that Paul is showing a deep pastoral concern as well. It's like what happened not too long ago when I I came into a room to see one of my kids carrying scissors or something sharp, and they were starting to run with them. Now, what did I do? Did I just ignore it and say, oh, well, you know, if they fall down, hurt themselves, then they'll learn? No, I didn't didn't do that. I, I jumped in before anything bad could happen. I yelled out from across the room, stop, don't do that. Now, when I did that, was I angry with my kids? Well, I was more upset uh, with the situation of danger. And then, maybe indirectly, you know, that they'd let themselves be in that situation. It's like when a child gets lost at the shopping center. First thing the parent does after the child is found is say, don't you ever do that again. But we know what's behind those words, don't we? I was so worried about you. I was very concerned. Paul loves these Galatian Christians. If we have eyes to look for, there are hints of that all across this letter. So this isn't just a rebuke of how they're getting it wrong. Paul wants them to see the danger they're in if they keep following this Jesus plus something else gospel. It's like the warning signs, as we said at the beginning of this sermon. So I want us to think about what we actually lose if we follow a false gospel. And as we do this, I also want us to be reminded of what we have if we don't add to the work of Jesus and we stick with the truth. And one danger on view here, as Paul writes, is actually losing God himself. Look with me again at verse 6, please. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ. To follow these teachers, it's not just to dig deeper into new religious ideas, it's to actually turn your back on God. To reject his message is to reject him. And you know, sadly, I'm seeing this happen more and more 
Uh, in today's world, there just seems to be uh, so many ideas and opinions about how we should live, and all that's just right at our fingertips. And uh, so many people believe now that you just create the truth by taking a bit of this and taking a bit of that and mixing it together in whatever way works for you and whatever is most comfortable. And we've even had this happen with our Christianity Explored ministry. Uh, people have finished up weeks of talking about the gospel with us, uh, you know, and, and end up honestly thankful for a chance to talk about the Christian faith, but saying, well, you know what I'm going to do next? I'm just going to take bits of the teachings of Jesus that I like, and I'm just going to add them into my life. But what that means is taking a bit of Jesus and a bit of other spirituality. Now, don't get me wrong. It's good that these people have been exposed to the gospel, and we hope and pray that the Spirit will fan that into new life for them. But my point is that to to stay with that attitude of just picking and choosing, that's not accepting God. It's actually a rejection of him. And why is that? Because to change the gospel is to lose the one way in which God himself reaches into our life as rescuer to bring us to himself. But to turn this around... Sticking with Jesus and his gospel means being in a wonderful relationship with God. Even in those times when God might feel a little distant, if our gospel is additive-free, if it's based on the finished work of Jesus, it means that through him we can call God Father. It means that we can come to him and not be turned away. It means that we're always loved and he will always be near. It means that we indeed have been taken out of the kingdom of darkness or as The way Paul puts it here, the present evil age were placed in his kingdom. So that's one danger, a very big danger, losing God. But Paul also writes that there's another danger, and that's the loss of grace. And by that I mean losing the resting in grace that comes with the gospel. And we see this in the turmoil in the Galatian church. They're in a state of confusion, Paul says. Their spiritual life has been shaken up. They're trying to live now according to these new man-made standards. They're trying to earn their own salvation by keeping all these rules on top of following Jesus. They're in a sad place of always trying to be good enough. And really, in the end, depending on themselves. It's just futile, isn't it, to live like that? And there's no rest in that kind of spiritual life. But friends, those of us who follow Jesus alone, we have the truth that he paid it all. There's nothing left for us to do, salvation-wise. True Christian life can be full of joy and comfort in that sense. Please make sure that you walk out of this church today knowing for sure that we do not have to work our way to God. Okay, Know that we do not have to work our way to God. Instead, we look to the cross and we cling to his grace. And so the words of our prayers should not be, oh, God, help me to be good enough for you. Instead, they should be, thank you for what you've done for me. Do you see the difference? And related to this, there's one more thing that these Galatian Christians are in danger of losing. Implied here is a sad reality that they're losing their hope. I conducted a funeral once and I found myself speaking with an older couple after the graveside committal. 
And that with words ringing in our ears about this earthly life coming to an end, uh, they reflected spiritually as we chatted. And uh, I found out that they were part of a church, a church tradition that has a lot of rules and sacraments and priests and saints to connect with as the way to Jesus. And the essence of what they said was this. When it comes to our own death, I guess we just have the hope that we've been good enough for heaven. Sadly, just like the Galatian Christians, they would have known the name of Jesus. They would have known what he has done. But their religious system robbed them of any hope by preaching that Jesus plus something else is needed for salvation. So in the end, they had no final assurance of where they go when they died. Yet they call themselves Christians. It's very sad, isn't it? See, if you call yourself a Christian, this is one of the tests to help you figure out if you have embraced the additive-free gospel, the gospel of Jesus plus nothing else. What I want you to do right now is answer this question in your own heart. Do I know where I'm headed when this earthly life is done? Do I know where I'm headed? If you say, you just can't be sure, or I hope I've been a good enough Christian, or, well, yes, of course I'll be there if I've been a good enough moral person, all of those answers are saying that Jesus isn't enough, and I'm happy to depend on myself. I'm happy to hope in myself. But if you've grasped the one true gospel, the answer is knowing that because of Christ, I'm bound for glory. See, the real gospel stamps us with a hope deep in our hearts that cannot be taken away, even in the brokenness of life or the temptations of Satan or even in the face of sin when we stuff up, because we will. See, our salvation is not based on our performance. It's not based on, or it doesn't depend on what we do, but in what has been done. Jesus plus nothing else is all that's needed for us to be right with God. That's the additive free gospel. So it's no wonder that in verses 8 and 9, Paul uses very strong, condemning language for the false teachers who are preaching that Jesus isn't enough. I don't care if you're listening to an angel, he says. Nobody has the right to reinvent God's truth. Nobody has the right to dish out those kind of lies. Now, those words might be very confronting, but Paul wants his readers to know exactly how serious the situation is. It's serious because of what they're walking away from. Something wonderful and amazing and gracious and life-giving and sufficient. So friends, this is a story that we're going to explore over the next seven weeks as we look at Galatians together. Takeaway point for today is that there's one pure gospel that's added to free. Jesus is enough. With that in mind, I hope you're hungry to come back for more. Pray with me, please. Father, we, we thank you that we have your word, and even though the situation in the Galatian church was pretty serious, that by your goodness it's recorded for us so that we can learn from it. Father, please help us to never fall for a false gospel. Please help us not to depend on our own efforts or cling to our, our human works to try to be right with you. Please help us, especially if we've been shaped by any religious system that's told us we need anything extra. 
Lord, help us to rest in your grace, to cling to the finished work of Christ, and to look at the cross and empty tomb with gratitude in our hearts. Father, guide us over these eight weeks as we look at Galatians. And remind us, please, of the pure gospel. Give us a deep and genuine joy in what Jesus has secured for us. And help us see through all of the lies that try to get in the way of that amazing truth. Lord, be with us now. Etch this hope deep into our souls, we ask, and change us by it. And give us freedom and security and safety and gratitude and newness in this. In Jesus' great name, amen.